The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2014, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This recording was from Saturday, May 10th. Educational Salon, The Glassware Impact with Left Hand and Dogfish Head, featuring Sam Calagione from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and Eric Wallace from Left Hand Brewing Company. Welcome, everybody, to Savor. Uh, this uh, Saver Salon is the impact of glassware. And uh, a couple of notes before we get started. Uh, my name is Jeff Mandel. I'm with the Left Hand Brewing Company in Longmont, Colorado. Uh, we are uh, hosting Saver for the seventh year. Uh, Saver is an American craft beer and food experience. Uh, put on by the Brewers Association. The Brewers Association is the uh, national nonprofit trade association representing the interests of uh, America's small and independent craft brewers. Uh, thanks to Reyes Beverage Group for sponsoring the salons in this room this evening. And uh, we want to, you're going to have beers put in front of you. We want to wait until our speakers prompt you before you uh, start tasting some beers. And a couple other things. You'll notice, obviously, that right in front of you have three glasses on a placemat. The two special glasses on the right and left are yours to take home with you. And and, uh, the pint glass in the center you uh, should not take home with you. And I'm guessing that after we've tasted beers out of these three glasses, you're not going to want to take the pint glass with you anyway. Also, we have bottle openers on the table. Please leave those for the next session. And finally, to help you cart your glassware out of the room at the end of the uh, session, there are paper bags on a table in the back of the room so that you can, uh, you know, have only one hand occupied and uh, taste, and, taste uh, beers and food with the other hand. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce uh, Sarah Watson, who's the marketing manager at Left Hand Brewing Company, and Sarah will uh, have the uh, duty of introducing our hosts tonight. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome to Saturday night at Saver. And um, welcome to the Glassware Impact. Um, So no matter your background, whether you're in the industry or you're a fan of craft beer, I won't make you raise your hands, but we're all here for the same reason. It's about pairing beer, craft beer, with really good food, right? And... um, just as it is an art of pairing craft beer with different food, um, the spices, the aromas, the flavor nuances help to enhance the beer. It's, it really is a beautiful thing. If you've had a few minutes to go and try some of these, then hopefully you're, you're already agreeing with me. Well, just as food complements beer, the vessel in which we drink the beer changes your experience. So a few years ago, Arguably one of the best glassware companies in the whole world, a 500-year-old company called Spiegelau, if you can pronounce that. (laughs) Um, They took notice of this industry called craft beer industry and um, sought out to make the perfect glassware for different styles of craft beer, just as they've done for champagne and for wine glasses. Spiegelau turned to leaders in the craft industry, first with IPA to Sierra Nevada and Dogfish Head, and then with Left Hand Brewing and Rogue, 
in order to have the absolutely perfect vessel to serve an IPA and a stout in. So, some quick housekeeping. The beers will be coming out uh, one at a time, and um, the guys will lead you through. So please don't skip ahead, um, and you know, don't start drinking your beer quite yet. You'll have plenty of beer to drink tonight, no doubt. Um, also, uh, please, again, don't take the pint glass, but the other glasses are yours to keep. So um, we do hope you enjoy them at home and impress your friends. And so now, without further ado, we have Sam Calagione of Dogfish Head and Eric Wallace of Left Hand Brewing. Thank you, Sam. I'm, I'm going to begin with an apology because I have lost my voice. <laughs> but I'm going to give the last of my voice to this seminar, so it's going to stay in this room with you guys. Um, I want to begin by saying, um, you know, both of our breweries are about two decades old, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do when I was leaving college, and I was... In, on a very bad path towards self-destruction and uh, until I found home brewing and fell in love with this opportunity for creative expression. And to be part of this movement and to be in the energy of that room with uh, so many of the patriarchs and founders of this movement behind the booths actually serving the beers that they make, uh, I, I couldn't be happier. And if there's any sort of American tradition it's the tradition of fucking with tradition. And that's what we're good at. You know, whether it's Coltrane or Kerouac or Pollock, that's what we're good at. Taking what happens in other parts of the world and bringing it in a different creative direction. And the American craft brewing movement is certainly an example of that. The beers that you're having tonight, sort of uh, their, their DNA started for the most part in Europe but whether it's the innovation of figuring out a really unique way to put nitrogen in a bottle, or whether it's taking an old English style of beer and infusing it with Syrah, grape must, what we've done is taken a European tradition and built on it and put our kind of own creative thumbprint on it. And what's really neat about the brewing industry, and Eric will talk about this later because he spent even more time than I have uh, overseas in the craft beer market throughout the, throughout the world, is... Uh, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, American beer was the laughing stock of the international commercial brewing uh, movement. Uh, there's an uh, old uh, Monty Python joke that was like, uh, do you know what Coors Light is? Do you know why Coors Light is, is, is like having sex in a canoe? It's because it's fucking close to water. <laughs> and... Um, in essence, we deserve that reputation because we homogenized and made very generic uh, commercial beer. And in essence, at the same time that it was getting homogenized and made very generic, the glassware sort of followed suit. Centuries ago, and still in many parts of Europe, particularly Belgium, specific glassware stayed part of drinking culture. However, unfortunately, in America, we lost that in the same way that we lost the diversity uh, and complexity of our beer scene. We lost the diversity and complexity of glassware until it became homogenized and unified into one super generic glass 
for the most part, which we're about to uh, drink out of. Um, so part of screwing with the tradition was saying, wait a second, this glassware is inferior in the same way that we changed the face of brewing in America, all these small breweries. We saw an awesome opportunity and props to, to, to George Riddell and, and Spiegelau uh, for approaching the innovative American breweries and saying, the same way you guys are innovating inside your, your bottles and your kegs, let's innovate in terms of the package uh, that people drink their beers out of. Um, so our journey with, with Spiegelau uh, started about three, three years ago, I think it was, uh, when we... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, Eric. Uh, please pour your beers. You have one beer per two people, but actually you're going to pour it into fourths. Uh, everyone get a quarter of that 12-ounce beer into the straight side pint um, and, a, and a quarter into the, uh, the IPA glass. Uh, which is the one that's ribbed. ribbed for your pleasure. <laughs> Meatball. Meatball, yeah, that was an easy one. Um, you know, so as you're doing that uh, and sharing it, I meant quarters because it's one, one 12-ounce bottle per two people into four, four, four glasses. Um, so our journey started about three years ago and our breweries uh, very proud um, the, still the best selling style of beer in America is the light lager and that's a factor of just how dominant the giant commercial breweries are uh, the Miller Coors family of breweries and beers has over 30% market share and Anheuser-Busch and Bev family of beers which also controls Corona has over 50% market share. So still the best-selling style of beer in America is the light lager. But the fastest growing style of beer in America, including light lager, which is actually down, is the IPA style. And we all communally have done an amazing job as craft brewers and home brewers to make that the best-selling style of beer in the world. And our journey at Dogfish Head, it's kind of ironic because we started as a brewery and we still are brewery focused on looking at the entire culinary landscape for potential ingredients to go into beer. In the mid-90s, we were kind of laughed at for that because there weren't any, weren't any breweries that I know of focused on looking outside of grains, yeast, water, and hops for their portfolio of beers. And the irony is, in time, we found a, a culinary uh, approach to the IPAs, which was about continual hopping. Uh, where we saw a chef talk about adding pepper in tiny pinches the entire time they, 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 they spiced the soup. And we took that concept and brought it into our beer, and we continually hop our IPAs, which makes them very unique. Um, but our whole goal is to continue to innovate, even in the IPA category. And the first beer that you're having is, is an example of that. But frankly, we were naive about how much glassware affected the experience. And in our breweries, we've been brewing Belgian beers since 1996 with a, a raison d'etre uh, and soon after for Namaste. Um, but our IPAs, we always just put into the straight side pint. We put our, our, our Belgian beers into the snifters and uh, the IPAs in the straight side pint. And it was really only once uh, the Spiegelau family approached us with this project and they were very respectful about finding two breweries from different parts of the country as they did with the stout glass um, 
to go on this journey with them. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, put your name on our glass and we'll pay you some money. Uh, it was truly a collaborative journey. Many, many meetings, starting with uh, the Craft Brewers Conference three years ago in San Diego, of us sitting in a room with dozens of different glasses led to the choices we made. And believe me, we, w we wanted to not pick the glass that we did because we're like, look at that fucking crazy looking thing. <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't turn out to work. But I think in both cases, you'll see the choices were more utilitarian than they were aesthetic. And we truly sat there and did like a William Tell moment where we just shut our eyes and let them shoot different beers at us and, and, and try to take the beer in with all of our senses except our eyes so that we wouldn't be biased towards choosing traditional glassware. And I learned so much on this journey. And most, some of the examples of what I learned was when you buy a spirit, uh, a, a, a distilled spirit, and we have a little distillery, so I'm learning about that industry as well. Without knowing it, part of the uh, perception is the heavier the, the bottle is, the 750 bottle, usually the more it costs. The, the, the glass itself that makes the bottle is nominally more expensive than a thin-walled glass, but the perception is the heavier something is, the more substantial it is, the more valuable it is. And when I went into this process for choosing the glassware, I, my assumptions were the same. This very thin glass is in both examples that you'll have from Spiegelau, compared to the very hardy, thick, straight side shaker pint, you think, oh, it's more substantial, so it's superior. But what we learned on our journey is not only is it the weight, but it's the quality of the glass itself. Um, so your, your, your beers have been in front of you long enough that we're gonna go ahead and, and move into this. And uh, um, so basically, beer is like any art form where the goal is can you take, can, how many senses can you incorporate into enjoying it? And when you're starting uh, with, with your beer, really I think sound is first when you open a bottle or, or tap a keg, you wanna make sure you hear, hear some noise to show that it has the carbonation it's supposed to have. And the next thing you're gonna have is really the visual. And so you hold up your glass, and in this case, you can see it's a, a, a beautiful sort of reddish hue. 25% of the fermentable sugars in this beer came from California Syrah grape must. Um, so you see that. And then you'll, you'll kind of notice that already you're kind of noticing the head is dissipating on, on your uh, flat glass more quickly uh, than, than on your thinner glass. And we're going to do the, f the, the straight side pint first. So you look at it, you, see, you look at the color, you look at the head, and now you're going to go to your nose. Uh, and oftentimes a lot of what we perceive as taste is actually coming through uh, our, 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 our sense of smell. Um, so give it a little shake and nose the beer. And obviously these straight sides are doing nothing to capture the aroma. Uh, it's just leaving th through, throughout every, every part of this that is nowhere near uh, your nose. So take, take a smell and then uh, kind of breathe in with your nose while you take the first sip. And feel the temperature of the glass also. Feel the temperature of the, the pint glass versus the temperature of the IPA glass. Yeah. It's about a 10 or 15 degree difference, right? So Everybody knows why that is. It's physics, um, thermodynamics. You have a lot of mass here. The temperatures have to equalize. So the glass effectively sucks the cold out of the beer or 
the way the physics physics guys would tell physicists would say it's injecting heat into the beer. And that, Eric says everyone will know it because he's more sciencey than I am. <laughs> I didn't know it. I didn't know it until I started doing this. I'm like that makes no sense. That shit's thicker. It should insulate better. <laughs> so that's part of part of the journey where where I learned about this. Um, but that experience. Um, is very true and now now so to contrast that let's pick up the IPA glass give it a little swirl but frankly the design almost uh, um, negates the need to do the swirl in this beer the goofy ridges are actually part of replacing that swirl because the, the ridges in the bottom create surface area and that surface area creates friction and as you're turn as you're tilting that beer towards your head it's pushing the volatile hop aromas out of the liquid, out of suspension in the liquid, and into uh, the, the, the air. So, and the shape of the glass, the balloon is not just uh, the traditional um, opportunity to capture more of the aroma by closing off the top of it, but this, the elongated shape is actually designed to push hop aromas like a cannon, kind of constricting it towards your nose. And again, when I said so much of what we assume we're tasting, we're actually smelling, the design of this glass was all about that motion of bringing it to your lips so that it pushes at the same time that you're sipping the aromas into your nose at the same time that you're tasting. Uh, so, so give it a try, not, not a huge need to swirl. And, and I would go back and relatively quickly and try it out of the straight side again. Just to, so it's fresh on your mind, the difference. Go ahead, Eric. And, and pay attention to the mouthfeel difference also. The temperature, you know, as the beer warms up, obviously it has to release more CO2. So you've, you've, you're, you're impacting mouthfeel quite directly. The angle, and we'll talk about this as we go through, the angle of the, of the, the lip and where it, that beer lands on your tongue also has a big impact on how you perceive both mouthfeel and flavor. So you've got the shape of the bowl working on the olfactory side of it, and then you've got flavor and mouthfeel perception impacted both by the size of the opening and the angle uh, that the glass has when it's, when it's at your mouth. I mean, for, look at my two beers up here, the difference in the beer, and how much of that you can actually taste uh, between temperature, between loss of carbonation. Um, the experience for me is night and day. And I was not expecting it at all when I went into the Swiss Spiegel app. And now our, our investment is such that if you come and visit our brewery at our pub, and 85% of the beers we sell are roughly in the IPA family. We've been doing a, a black IPA since 1997, Indian brown ale, uh, fruit-infused IPAs. I think we bought the first Imperial IPA, 90-minute IPA. He was one of the first distributors in the country to carry it. Um, but all of our different IPAs, and not just ours, our experience, not just with Sierra in developing this class, was testing it across a spectrum of IPAs. Um, and that's one of the things I'm proudest about this industry is how altruistic and mutually supportive it is. We didn't try to say this is a glass that we only want people to drink Dogfish Head or Sierra Nevada beer with. Um, we immediately opened it up for any brewery to use because we really, really believed uh, in the concept. Um, so with that, I'm going to hand it over to Eric to, to take us on to the next beer. All righty. Um, 
Well, first you're going to have to empty your glass, and there's two, way, there's two ways to do that. I'll throw this mic at anybody who dumps their beer at <laughs> Even the shitty-tasting one from the straight side pint, you have to drink that. This is the way I do it. Actually, it's already been half. It's already half been half killed. Take a look at take a look at the shaker glass, and look at the color. What color do you see there? Yeah, if you're looking vertically down on the wall. Mine, it's it's kind of dark in here, but it kind of has a greenish tinge to it. And if you look at the the Spiegelau glass, you'll see that it's actually quite clear. Um, we've got some some technical information we want to pass on. If if you look. If you look, you've got some handouts in front of you, but I wanted to talk a little bit. Um, one thing that Spiegelau really focuses on and, and emphasizes, they're using a really, really high quality quartz deposit in Bavaria to make these glasses. They use it for, for lab and uh, optical quality, it's lab and optical quality quartz. So it has very, very low um, amount of imperfections, impurities in it. I think a normal glass, commercial glass is 400 parts per million or something like that and they I think they run 10 to 20 in the in the glass that that they're using here to, to make our drinking vessels so that's a that's a, a really big a really big difference what, what's the big deal about imperfections in the glass how does that affect the beer and if, if you look look at the little handout in front of you look at the one with the microscopic pictures so you can see you can see what a normal let's call it straight-sided shaker looks like under under magnification you've got a thousand times magnification there on the upper left hand corner um, that's a normal glass it's got little crevices and uh-oh uh-oh we'll keep we'll keep talking and, and, and distract everyone from looking back there um, there's, there's little goopy things hanging on there, not even really sure what that is. And then you look at it, 5,000, you can see that it's not a smooth surface. And smooth surfaces are kind of critical to getting something clean. And we talk a lot in our brewery about, um, you know, beer clean glass. It's got to be super clean so that the head retention, that the foam actually sticks on the glass. You don't get weird nucleation and lots of bubbles pouring off the glass where it's actually not clean. And you don't get detergent when you're, when you're uh, washing your glasses. And... And you yeah, kills kills the head. Yeah, and you stick your nose in there, and you can smell soap. I mean, that's absolutely not what we're looking for. And then you look down at this five thousand mag of the of the of a. It's basically they just do a break. They do a hand break on these edges, and you can see the difference between the Spiegelau, the Durfner mine quartz source that they source this stuff versus what you've got in a in a normal big thick chunky glass. All right, has everyone... Well, while Eric's talking, go ahead and do your pours. I wasn't going to dump it out. I was going to get in trouble otherwise. <laughs> no, we, these are dishwasher safe. Um, we've, been, we've been using them in, in our brewery. In left hand, um, we've, just, we've only had them in, in house now for about a month and a half. So we've got about 200 regulars that, that we, we're test driving these glasses with, with, our, with our 200 regulars and cycling them through the dishwasher and, and they work great. So, 
They're very thin, but they're quite strong. They're, they're flexible. Um, on this next go, what we're, what we're going to do, w- once we've, we've poured a little bit of beer, um, we'll get to it. We'll, 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 basically, we'll basically do a cheers. And I want you to pay attention to what it feels like. Cheers with a straight-sided shaker, and then don't, cheers. Don't squeeze it too hard. Though. Don't squeeze it too hard. It will break. I've watched that happen. Um, and, and then cheers with the with the the IPA glass, and you're gonna you'll feel a, a, a pretty major difference. After the IPA glass came out, I was really interested in this because at left hand we had we had already made a, a conscious decision to eliminate the the straight-sided shaker known as uh, beer killer, known as many other things. But um, we'd gotten rid of all of them. So when, when Matt came into our brewery, he's from Spiegelau, he, uh, he carries in suitcases and boxes full of glassware, and we started tasting different beers through different glasses because I was a skeptic. I couldn't believe, well, it's going to make that much difference. But we had already changed over to a tulip, a small... Uh, stemmed sampling glass, a Pilsner glass, a Nonic that we use for our pints for our basically middle, mid-range color ales, and, and then a, a, a wheat beer glass. So we had five different glasses in there. He says, well, go get a, go get a straight, give me a straight-sided shaker. I didn't have any. I had, to go, I had to go raid people's offices where they had somebody's logoed glass that they'd visited or whatever to, in order to actually do his little seminar where you're tasting side by side. So we'd already started making the transition. So we were, we were interested in the subject, but I had no idea what a, a large impact it was going to have on the beer. I really, like Sam, I was, I was pretty skeptical. And my, my crew was a little bit skeptical too as we started down the process. Um, I'll talk a little bit about how we, how we did, how we did the, the, the testing on the... The front page, turn it over to where there's that picture of Sam in the nice red shirt. Uh, salmon. Salmon. Salmon shirt. No, it's salmon. That's more masculine. It's, it's salmon. We, we, we did, left hand and rogue, we did three series of testings. Um, we, we did the, the kind of a generic thing just to convince us that, yes, glassware did make a difference. And we did that at the brewery, a few of us. And then um, we set up a, a, a initial testing last year during or- Oregon Brewers Fest up in, we volunteered to go to Portland, Joe and I, um, and, and, and go up there and hang out with the road guys. We tested, I think, about 12 different glasses, all pretty much a couple of prototypes, but mostly from their range of, of ex- ex- existing glassware. And we tasted seven, eight, nine different beers. Some rogue beers, some left-hand beers, and some other beers. Uh, we grabbed in up there, I think, Deschutes, and uh, I don't even know what else was up there. Uh, a couple of beers out of Washington. So we tried a bunch of different beers there. And we, we went down to, we basically eliminated glasses and chose the top three shapes. And then they sent those results back. George Riedel um, from over there, from, from Austria, came over with us. He, oh, there's no pictures of his orange pants. Very, he's a very flashy, very flashy dresser. Has a nice scarf and orange pants. I mean, he stands Stylish. out. Stands out in the crowd. And so we, we did a, we did the testing. We sent back the results, and their glass blowers hand blew a bunch of prototypes. And we got back together at GABF in Denver in October. Um, 
a couple of the guys from Rogue, a couple, a couple of us from Left Hand, and we, we went through the tasting again, and we reached an impasse. Basically, we were flip-flopped on, on the two finalist glasses, and it was me and one of the guys from Rogue, and, and Joe, and, Joe and, and Brett from Rogue, and Joe's our VP for Brewing Ops, and there was no one was giving any, any leeway at all. So we were basically stuck. There was no decision. It was a split decision. So we had to send back again to Austria, and they blew six more prototypes, all very similar shaped at this point, similar you know, to, to that shape, but, but, but different. As, as Matt always says, millimeters are miles in, in glass shape. So they, they sent us six more over. There was an independently done um, seminar, a tasting again up at Rogue, and then a subsequent one down at Left Hand. So they did theirs independently of ours. And as we went through the six, the same three glasses were in the top three. Um, the same glass won both tastings using our beers and different beers, and then second and third place were reversed. So, and this this is done, you know, 1,500 miles away from each other under on different days under different drinking conditions, um, with some of the same beers and then different beers. And so, the process I thought was really good, really telling, and I was shocked and amazed that you would independently come to, so that, that kind of really proved to me that it was a pretty good empirical process and inclusive. That, yeah, and it really, it really does make a difference. Yeah. I mean, you guys had a similar experience, right? Yeah, we did, like I said, most of the glasses that in the first round looked more similar to either a red wine glass or a brandy snifter, which those are certainly better than something like this in terms of capturing the, the, the hops and the aroma of an IPA, and we assumed one of those would win. Uh, there was only one that had sort of a shape like this that had been hand-blown and included just to have an outlier. And again, we didn't think the outlier would make it, but it was as conclusive as what Rogue and, and Left Hand did. The same thing with us and Sierra. We were like, oh my God, oh my God, we're gonna choose this class, aren't we? We didn't think we were what we did. One of the main differences from the prototype to production was um, to, to factor in another way to push more of the aroma out of the liquid uh, and into the nose of the beer. And if you look at the glasses in the bottom, um, I don't know if you can see it from the inside, but when you're, this glass is done, there's a tiny little nucleation point. If you haven't filled your stout glass yet, you can see the left-hand one. If you look into the bottom of it, you can just see a left hand in there. And while it's a branding thing, that's secondary, the aesthetics, the functionality of it is it's actually um, sort of a exfoliant for your beer on the inner surface and the motion of tipping that glass pushes the liquid across that design and pushes the CO2 um, out as a friction point, much like uh, uh, the riches in this. So it's really beautiful to watch, even if your glass is just sitting there in time. Uh, you can see the bubbles coming up through the logos. And uh, um, it's almost like reading tea leaves or, or seeing a bat symbol in the sky when danger is afoot. 
because uh, while you're drinking, occasionally you can look down and see that dogfish shield sitting in the top of your beer uh, head or see the left-hand sail sitting in the top of your beer. It's pretty, but it's also functional, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, both that, that shelf in both glass designs serves to recharge the CO2, which volatilizes the aroma and keeps that, the, the aroma going. And then that little nucleation thing in the bottom also helps out. Now, I want to do the experiment while I'm thinking about it, because once we get to the third beer, um, there's no guarantee. There's no, uh, exactly. There's, there's, no, there's nothing guaranteed after the second beer. So first, take your, your clunky shaker and cheers your, your mate to the, to the next to you. Have a, have a little whiff, have a little taste. Note the temperature. And then, and then I want you to uh, grab your IPA glass and, and cheers your, your partner. Feel, feel the flex. Feel the flex in the glass. It's really quite, quite astonishing, actually. The first time I noticed it, I said, wait a minute. This thing is made out of plastic? Because the, these, these glasses with lots of impurities in them, the glass actually isn't that strong, so they have to make them thicker for strength. This glass being so much purer, the glass itself is quite a bit stronger so they can make it much more thin and it also has a, a flexibility to it that a big thick walled glass just can't have so the first time i cheered someone with a full stout glass uh, i was dumbfounded and they felt it too and like what the hell is that because they just kind of they kind of mash together and bend a little bit and then bounce off they, it's a very very different sound and a very different feel in your hand so I'm going to talk real quickly about, about the monkey. We, we tasted the 61, 61 minute, which has Syrah juice in it and, and, and hops. And that's why you get that little pink foam thing going on, um, pink head on ours. We, in, in our IPA, uh, obviously we're a brewery that's not known for, for lots of IPAs. We only do three. We do our Warrior once a year, Fresh Hop. We do our Twin Sisters every few years, which is a double. And then we do... One that we, we wanted to make something that was a little bit different than all of these big, big American hopped ones. So we, we went out and found this strange hop called Bodicea. Um, this, this beer uses Bodicea and, and Sovereign. And that's where you get that kind of white cheese rindy, earthy, mushroomy, not quite truffle pungent, but some of those kind of crazy flavors. And then there's a little bit of bitter is orange that, in there. Is that an English hop or where is that? Yeah, Bodicea is a dwarf, um, a dwarf English hop. So cute. Yeah, it's, they're very cute. <laughs> they're easier, easier to harvest. They're, they've been, they've been um, basically bred for disease resistance, productivity, but they're also dwarf. So they're not as hard to, you know, they're not growing 20 feet up in the air like, like most hops. Um, and it, it's a very unusual one. It, it gives you that really kind of earthy thing. We were trying to capture something going towards an Orvali kind of earthiness without getting involved in Brett and other kinds of crazy bugs uh, going around the brewery so taste the uh taste what's the significance of the crazy label oh well it's part of the heritage of ipa sam thank you for asking okay there, you've got you basically got you know one of the embodiments of shiva hanuman the monkey guy you know 
with, with all the... He's, he didn't really have all the arms. He was the monkey, but Shiva's behind him. That's where, where all the arms come from. India, England. You got English and, and Indian uh, iconography, if you will. So just, we just had a, lot of, we had a lot of fun developing the label, basically going back to the history of the, of the style itself. So, and, and so very English hop, very much English hop, more with an American kind of intensity to it. Um, if you were to go to the UK, most of the beers aren't going to be this heavy-duty hopped, but, um, but you will taste some stuff. They're actually doing a lot of American styles over there, too. A they're, lot, they're a lot using, now. They're using a lot of Northwest hops. In, in Italy, in the UK, and in Scandinavia as well. Yeah, and go back and forth between the, the, sh the shaker. Those of you who have yet to uh, drink all of your beer, and, and just note the temperature difference, note the flavor difference, how it differs in mouthfeel, what the impact is um, of the, the IPA glass versus a, a, the shaker. A big, a big test for us was not even drinking the beer, but just like shaking it and moving the glass over your, over your nose with each of them. Don't even drink it. And you almost get no aroma from that straight side. And then when you shake this and just put it over your nose, it's for me a world of difference. Even after two seasonings with, with cold beer in the shaker glass, it's still it's pretty staggering what kind of uh, temperature difference you see between the two of them. All right, bottoms up on this, and we're going to move into dark beer land. The heart of darkness. Yeah. I'm going to talk oh, about it. Yeah, yeah. Right, you need a, I need to drink it. See, I can, I can leave that in there. Yeah. Oh, wait. I'm not going to blame you if you start putting less and less in your shaker. Just enough to, just enough for your seminar purposes. Just enough for your dead homies. <laughs> and check out, check out the cascade on that bad boy. It's just the shape really lends itself. To, you get a really beautiful action, the, the way the foam forms in there too, and the, the way the beer moves through it. All right, so it, it, same ver, uh, second verse, same as the first. Um, we went in the, in the second development round, and I already kind of gave the story. We ended up with a, with a glass. We discovered that that shelf, that narrow neck with the open bottom, really does serve to recharge, recharge the beer and keep it, keep it peppy, keep it fresh and, and, and moving both in your nose and on your tongue. So I saw a few comments when the, when the glass first came out saying that, that the stout glass had ripped off the, uh, the IPA glass. <laughs> well, rib for your pleasure and not. Come on. They are, they are not the same, people. And you'll also notice that the, the IPA glass is quite a bit narrower and taller. The, the stout glass with... with Roasty malt um, aromas, 
in our milk stout, particularly with that, that creaminess from the, from the lactose, you've got a wider bowl, basically giving you a bigger vessel to contain some of those aromas. And, um, and then a little bit different, it's a little bit steeper angle of attack you know, at the rim. If, if you see how it's starting to curve back in on itself a little bit more. All of those things make a difference. One of the most incredible things I did during the development process is Matt from Spiegel had these really, really tall, narrow uh, Pilsner glasses. And so we were trying Pilsner out of it. Of course, you drink a Pilsner out of a Pilsner glass. I'm not a dumbass. You spent time in Germany. I spent time in Germany, yes. <laughs> So he said, hey, let's pour some milk stout into this Pilsner glass. And so we did. And it was really bizarre. He kind of gave us this little story. It's a narrow, much narrower opening, and it's a straight glass coming up to the rim. And apparently, and if you try it at home, you will notice, your body is going to prevent you from drowning at all costs. And your tongue will automatically shape itself to deal with the flow of liquid coming into where you breathe and swallow. So the, the Pilsner glass actually shot your tongue on a wide opening glass kind of folds up and makes a dam. And it slows down the flow. That exposes certain parts of the tongue to the beer and it causes the initial flavor impact to hit you. With a narrower opening, the, your tongue, and we noticed it was really bizarre. Your tongue kind of rolls and the beer lands further back on your tongue because you're not trying to block it so much. And those kind of things, it's just kind of indicative of what the shape of the, the size of the opening, the angle of attack of the glass as it's coming in your mouth, all those things do make a difference. And we don't think about that when we're standing around in a bar drinking beer at midnight, you know, talking to our friends. But, you know, your first or second beer of the night, when you're actually tasting something with three or four friends and you have the proper drinking vessel and you're thinking about flavor and you're thinking about what you've got, you just spent 20 bucks on this beer shipped in illegally from Afghanistan or wherever the hell it came from. <laughs> you want to appreciate it. So... In those situations, it makes, it makes a, really, a really big difference. I'm going to jump in for a second and, and, and just say, to, to jump, jump on what Eric's saying, that's really like what tonight is about, is, <clears throat> you know, wine in America had a giant head start on us, and my, our hats are off to American wine for changing the global perception of wine and saying, okay, you know, Napa Valley can hang with... Uh, you know, the, the best European centers of wine. But you never see the big breweries uh, ads talking about their beers in the context of food because there's nothing wrong with light lager and it's awesome at a ball game or it's awesome when you're mowing your lawn. But the <laughs> reason you don't see them talking about how their beer goes with food is because it lacks the complexity and the body and the food compatibility that craft beer has. And the Brewers Association saw an opportunity to celebrate how well craft beer goes. And if you notice, I know a bunch of you, I see your faces at GABF, and I know a bunch of you have gone there. And we do have some, some food at GABF, but it's not at every booth. And GABF's a, celebrate of all, a celebration of all American beer. You know, Blue Moon has a booth there. 
Anheuser-Busch has a beer booth there, but Savers really a celebration about indie American craft beer and how much better it goes with food than light lager. And in the same way that room's all about celebrating um, beer's rightful place on a white tablecloth, what we're doing here with unique glassware is similar when you look at all the different diverse wine glasses. It's stupid in the same way that's stupid that everyone was just drink, drinking white, one style of beer, light lager. It's stupid that we were all drinking out of one style of beer glass. So if anything, that's probably what I'm most proud of uh, in our work with Spieglau is developing these really weird looking glasses that actually work with our weird looking beers that are out there. Yeah, and... To, to put the exclamation point on how stupid it is, put your nose in the shaker, swirl it up and put your nose in the shaker, and then take, then take the stout glass, swirl it up and put your nose in that. And if you can't tell how stupid it is that we're drinking out of this thing every day, you're not paying attention. It, it's, a, it's a 4X difference in the intensity, the roundness of the aroma. This thing just pounds the aroma up your nostrils, and this thing kind of, you can smell it, but it's just, it's not even close. It really, when, when we, we started down this path, as we got closer and closer, we were just amazed. I've sat through Matt's seminar six times or something when we went out to New York and rolled out the glass for the media, and it still amazes me every time. My partner Dick got dragged in to do the seminar at CBC last month in Denver because I had another scheduled event that I had to be at and he was unexpectedly pulled up on the podium went through it for the first time got to talk about our beer got to experience the glass and he walked out I saw him in the hallway he was giddy he's like holy shit dude that's unbelievable I thought it was a bunch of bullshit and it's crazy how it works it's taking us to the next level he was going out of his mind happy it was really really cool so it's it, it, it takes a little bit of hand-to-hand -hand combat and, you know, going through a process like this to help, help you fully get it. But once you get it, there's, there's, I can't look at all the glasses in my cabinet now. I have a water and juice glass cabinet and a beer glass cabinet. They, they, the two don't cross. Yeah, so, yeah, take, take a moment, go back and forth. If you need further urging, coaxing. And, um, <clears throat> Eric, can you talk a little bit about, we, we tried it at first with a milk stout, but it works with all different dark beers. Do you want to talk a little bit about it, its compatibility with different dark beer styles? Yeah, when... At the, at the final, final, the third tasting with the six prototypes that came in, I think we used, we used milk stout, we used imperial stout, we used our blackjack porter, we, we tried it with our, we had our smoke jumper, we used Deschutes, Black Butte, we had Rogue XS, we had Rogue Shakespeare stout, we had Breckenridge, had, uh, had their, I think, Breckenridge vanilla stout, and there was... Uh, Sam Smith's Oatmeal Stout. We went through an entire wide range of beers to make sure that, that it was working. We, d we did our nitro and our CO2 milk stout through it to make sure that, that the, the cascade 
um, of the nitrogenated beer was gonna was gonna work well in this kind of and you get a two a two stage cascade with a nitro in the glass is kind of really cool to watch too. So yeah, we 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 tasted tasted a a whole bunch of different beers in order to get this this thing right over three different tastings. What are you doing, Sam? Any any brewer that you go out and drink with usually holds up their bottle and starts looking at it really closely. At oh, he's looking at his dates. And I'm trying to look at the Are date. we out of date? And by the way, as, as beer enthusiasts, if you're here, you should demand that brewers are very transparent with their dates. And some beers, like the IPAs that we started tonight with, want to be drunk very young. Um, but Worldwide Stout is a beer... Uh, that's meant to really go into its prime after a number of years. Um, I can just tell by the, the, the glass, it, it's yours as a lower ABV stout. It's probably meant to be drunk relatively young. Yeah, it's a, it's a six-month shelf life on this. This was not 0906, so this was brewed or bottled back in March. So it's got, a, it's got several more months on it. Nice. And I can't... Oh, this, can, you got Worldwide there? We have Worldwide. Does that thing ever go out of date? No. No. <laughs> this, this shit's like a Twinkie. I, I never, I would never condone drinking and driving, but I would condone keeping a bottle of Worldwide Stout in with your flares and your tire jacks. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Um, in the late 90s, Dogfish and, and Sam Adams were going back and forth brew, to brew the strongest beer in the world. They had Triple Buck, then we had uh, Worldwide Stout, and then they had Millennium, and then uh, we had Raison Dextra, and then they had Utopias, and we gave up. But <laughs> in that process, as we were trying to brew the strongest beer in the world, a, a version of Worldwide Stout got to 23% alcohol. In the, and we had it tested by a third party. And they said, we got some good news and some bad news. It's not as strong as Utopias, but it's the most caloric beer we've ever tested. <laughs> and it was, ready for this, it was 666 calories per 12. It's like the, it's like the, awesome. it's like the antichrist of light beer. So keep one in your car. If you ever get snowed in somewhere, you can live off of this one bottle for like a week. But, but, let's, but let's try this. I think this is, this is a great christening for this very unique glass. This will be the strongest beer that's been tested in the stout glass yet. So dark grains act as a, as a um, much like alcohol and hops, dark grains can act as a preservative for beer. I've, we found a dogfish, I don't know about a left hand, but our dark beers at the same ABV as a hoppy beer actually do better with age than hoppy beers. Oh, and they and they well, oxygen obviously is the the enemy of, of beer, and uh, the way oxygen interacts with hoppy beers is much more prominent and often not as pleasant as what it does with with roasty, toasty, strong you know the darker darker beers. So a little bit of oxidation in a dark beer is often perceived as quite pleasurable. Why do we age our imperial stouts? 
you know, five or ten years because some of that softening of the hops and rounding and the caramelization and everything that's going on is actually quite pleasant. Um, yeah, your, your worldwide style is great in the, in the car boot in case you uh, get stuck in a snowbank. I've got several cases of old Imperial Stout in my cellar because when, when the nuclear war starts, <laughs> that's what I'm going out on. <laughs> that stuff doesn't go bad. And, uh, and, and if things go bad, that's, that's what I'm closing with. Uh, so what do you guys think? Does the stout glass work or what? I, we, we don't blame you if you're really not pouring very much in the shaker glass at this point. That uh, would show us that we've actually convinced you that it is an inferior drinking vessel. The, it's one good merit is that it holds liquid and you can get it into your mouth. Funnels, funnels do that too. Um, I don't know if we're doing any questions or not, but if we are, this is probably the time for them while we're sipping on our desserts. The question, the, the, hello, 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 hello. All right, we're back. We're back. We're back. Uh, the que the question was, what's uh, what other few glasses would you recommend? You know, in addition to these two must-have drinking vessels. Um, at my house, I drink a lot out of a. It's just a, a pretty simple stemmed tulip. It's a really that's kind of my all-round go-to glass. Um, Sam, I don't know what you use at home. Yeah, in general, I would say uh, a red wine glass or a brandy snifter. Keep those, keep those at home and think of them as your beer glasses for anything other than stouts and IPAs. Just in general, any of that balloon shape that captures aroma is going to be good for your beer. Yeah. Sarah, you, Sarah, you got a, a mic that you can, you can swing around so people can raise their hand. You can kind of, that, that, that'll, that'll help us along. Hello. I noticed that both of you were holding your glasses at the bottom, whereas a lot of us have been holding them like this. Is You're there a, a Neanderthal, and we're <laughs> a little bit different. We have opposable thumbs up here. I don't know. About <laughs> you know what? I do have to say that uh, for us, because of that flexibility in the glass at our brewery where we use these, we did notice that people were like, oh, it flexes, oh, it flexes, oops, it broke. Um, <laughs> by holding it up here, it is a little weaker. Um, holding it out. down here is a little less, less weak. But the, the sacrifice is your hands are touching it, and eventually it will warm up. Yeah, holding it right there at the neck, you're probably putting the least heat into the beer. Um, so that's, that's one good thing to think about. Yeah, we've had a couple of our guys squeeze it and, and crack it, smash it, basically crush it right there at the bar. It's not a cool thing to do. I ate one of them. I, I, I chewed on it and I ate it. Don't do that, guys. Sure, it keeps you regular and you look cool. Don't do it. Don't do it. Blood coming off your lip. You, got, you guys are right here. Oh. Mike, Mike, Mike. Oh. Who's got the mic? I got it right here. Let you, the microphone talk. It's going to be way better for everybody. You, you guys 
you put a lot of thought into the into the glass process as far as the actual savoring of the beer. Have you thought Great of use of savor? Great use of savor. <laughs> Hashtag savor. Um, have you have you thought about the process of the actual brewing and the shape of the you know, just the different processes that you go through and how that could impact not only the flavor, but then the actual process itself. You're the second person that I've heard that question from. The question is basically, can you brew a beer to the shape? And that's, that's a much harder thing to do. We, um, we focus on making beers that, that, that we like, that the, fl- the flavors we like. We might aim at a, at a certain goal, but... Yeah, go in the other direction. I think it's it's way easier to to count on the experts in, in beer shape beer glass shaping to to deal with our inabilities to brew the perfect beer for that shape glass. That's just that's reverse engineering in a really high level. Yeah. Yeah, if you would just say your name and say where you're from. Uh, I'm Rob. Um, yeah, I'm really sold uh, on this. Okay. But my my you know, question. Wait wait wait. What do you mean you're sold? You don't I, have to I'm, pay any money. You're getting two free glasses. No no no. I'm sold on like you know any shaker pint glasses in my house are going in the garbage. Awesome <laughs> awesome. Okay, but my question is 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 the IPA glass and the stout glass that we have here are they commercially available? And if they are, where do I get them? Either of our websites. <laughs> But wait, there's more. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Spiegelau beer set now has the, the IPA glass as part of it. Yeah. It's an unlogoed one, right? Yeah, yep. so, so yes. If, uh, and there's a number of uh, retail stores. If you just Google IPA glass, you will find it. You know, there's Total and uh, a, a bunch of retailers, Crate and Barrel, uh, Williams-Sonoma, I believe. Um, and for us to launch it and to get some... Um, cred, so, some recognition for being the two breweries uh, that launched it. We had about two or three months of an exclusive, and those months are, are over for our IPA glass, so that it's now available wherever anyone wants it. And now there are other breweries. I see our, our IPA glass with other breweries, uh, our, with other breweries logos on them, and I'm pretty psyched about it because it means it's working. It was never our intention to have this to just be for us, but to have it be for anyone that, that makes IPAs. All right, we have a question over here. I promised this guy first. <laughs> you got, you got to get her attention. <laughs> I'll be fast, and, and I'll be the first to be the sycophant and, and say, uh, Sam in particular with uh, Brewmasters inspired me to get back into home brewing. Both you guys and everybody in the industry, thank God for all of you and everything you're doing and making the beer that you're making now. Thanks. Well, uh, Was that a question or a statement? Well, <laughs> I do want to say, um, on behalf of everyone in that room and the 2,800 breweries that are out there, we actually owe, owe, owe you guys thanks. And speaking for all the small guys, um, collectively, we have less than 10% market share. And events like this are what is making craft beer grow. We don't have big advertising budgets we have events we have social media and we count on you guys to tell people about your favorite breweries and championing the small indie guys is is so critical to what we do so thank you for our success okay i think we have we have time for one more 
if, as long as we have beer, we have time. Okay. Uh, well, since this is a, a salon on glassware, uh, I understand the idea of trying to build up the reputation of craft beer, putting in nice fancy bottles with nice, nice dogfish caps and nice left-hand caps. But um, cans are much better for the beer. Are, are there any plans to put the beer, craft beer in cans? I understand the sort of stigma of beer in cans, but it is better for the beer. I don't know. I'd like to hear your thoughts. I I would love to answer that question. And I'm going to be far more politic than I'm normally. If you want to talk about this later over a beer, I'll tell you what I really think. But I do not accept the assertion that cans are better for the beer. So let's start there and end there because it's a long discussion and there's other people with questions. Yeah, we'll just go for, through our questions. Hi, I'm... Uh Bob from there, there Morgantown, West Virginia. Cans. There are some great beers in cans. Uh. But they'd be um, better if they were in a bottle. Okay. Bob from uh, Morgantown, West Virginia. I've uh, been homebrewing for quite a while, and honestly, I haven't put any thought into glassware at all. And this, hey, I've seen a great light tonight. Um, my question is, you know, it's fantastic. I go to your brewery. I go to your brewery. I get these fantastic glasses. I get to taste a beer that I've never tasted in the way that I have tonight. However, most people are buying their beers at a bar. Um, you know, how do you expand this commercially? That's a, good question. That's a great question. It really starts with just giving the middle finger to this. Um, when, you go, when, you go to a, uh, when you go to a beer bar, at least ask them to take the baby steps away from this. And if we can get to this and, and, and this, that's fantastic, but going away from this is the first step. And for us at Dogfish, uh, we, we have glass racks that we sell that are specifically designed to carry this shaped glass upside down at bars, and we're, we're, we're doing our best to, to, to promote that. Uh, but it really, again, the way that we're growing because of you for our beers, the way we're gonna change the glassware expectations is you guys asking. For, for us, for the, for the retailers to change. Starts here. 20, 20 years ago, where were we? We were having much far, 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 far more basic conversations 20 years ago. And look where we are now. In 20 years, let's see where we are in terms of glassware. But you guys are here. This is, one of, this is one, the way we started. And this is the last question. The last question. No, no, no pressure. I don't really have a question. We oh, have a 90-year-old great aunt that loves the IPA glass. She, we were at Easter Sunday, and she's like, I want those now. Give really? them to me. Yeah, that, we sold her two IPA glasses and walked out the door happiest clams. So. But he has hope. a question. That's totally our demographic right there. So I, I also hear that Spiegelau, their number one selling glass more than their, their wine glasses or anything is the IPA glass. Wow, so I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Give and it let's up hope that. that within six months it's the IPA glass and percentage, the stout glass. Percentage growth, I should say. One and two. Hey, 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 guys. While right. it's kind of quiet, we're lucky enough to have the woman from the BA who runs events and really oversees Saver happening in the room with us that I just saw, Nancy Johnson. Let's give it up for Nancy Johnson. Sorry, Sarah. 
I feel like that's racial profiling, but uh, okay. Hey, make me an offer I can't refuse. Thank you, Nancy. And with that, thank you very much for joining us tonight. In closing, thank you very much again for joining us. Um, you, may, you may take, again, you can take the IPA and the stout glass. And there are some bags on your way out. Please do not take the pint glasses. And if you are, are looking to purchase the glasses, additional glasses, which make great gifts. I'm the marketing manager. Can you blame me? Um, they're available on our website. So enjoy your night. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2014, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2014, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.